From New York City, the world famous Comedy Cellar presents Live from America Podcast. With Noam Dorman and Hatem Gabber. Live from America Podcast. Where the top experts in the world and the best comics in the nation get together weekly to discuss today's issues as they cover news, culture, politics, comedy, and more with an equal part of knowledge and comedy. And now, here are your hosts, Hatem Gabber and Noam Gorman. Here we go. All right, welcome to Live from America podcast. Hatem is here alongside me, Noam Dorman, owner of the Comedy Cellar. Uh, join us from Maine. And uh, the return of uh, one of my favorite writers, uh, Jason Vejevich, uh, the author of Marketer-in-Chief, How Each President Sold the American Idea. Uh, we had a whole episode about his book, and we're going to talk a little bit more about it as well today. And uh, the return of also very funny comedian and author, uh, Andrew Heaton. And you joining us from where, Andrew? Uh, I am. Can you hear me? Sorry, I had to change microphones. Yeah. Can you hear me? Uh, I'm joining you from Edinburgh, Scotland, where I'll be doing my regular show, The Political Orphanage, a delightful podcast, and uh, hanging out at the Edinburgh French Festival for a month. Oh, there yes. you go. All right. Excellent. Uh, welcome. Well, uh, last episode was with both Andrew and Jason was amazing. They went together, two separate episodes, and um, the only thing was missing was Noam was in there. So it's not perfect. See, I'm giving you compliments though in the beginning. Well, thank you. I try, I try not to let you guys down. This is a pretty, this is a pretty powerful panel you have here. So, um, may not, you may not need me. Go ahead, in, including me. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> <You're> part- <laughs> I like how you hesitated for a second. <laughs> it's well, but then we have somebody to equal it a little bit. All right, let's get into well, it. So <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah. I, I think I think they're just short of critical mass without you. So you're 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 <laughs> you're essential if not if not equal. <laughs> All right. So let's start as usual with a couple of things on the news, and then we'll go d- uh, deep into uh, some of Jason's uh, book that we didn't cover last time. So th- uh, the new thing is the Will Smith the Will Smith apology that he addressed in his um, uh, his I don't know YouTube show or something did you guys hear that about chris rock he said that he's sincerely well he answered a few three questions for fan one was why didn't you apologize for chris rock and he said that he's been reaching out to him and the message he's get that he cannot uh, he doesn't want to talk right now and when he's ready he's going to talk again he apologized to his mother and to tony rock tony rock in town have you seen him Norm? he's been in the cellar the last week i saw, I saw him yeah i saw him yeah and, uh, and then the second question that was in an interview that I thought was interesting was when somebody told him, when Jada rolled her eyes, did she actually tell you to do something? <laughs> and he said no. So anyway, at the, uh, today, Chris Rock said, uh, everybody try to be a victim. That was his comment on this. So what do you guys, what's your thought and uh, the apology and the video and the whole thing? Let's go with you, Andrew. Uh, so I didn't watch the video. I, I read a transcript of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my main thing is I would just like us to come up with a system for when people fuck up, like when mm-hmm. people fuck up and everybody's mad at them. I just like I want us to have like we need to come up with like a like a cultural version as opposed to a courtroom version where we're like, ah, mm-hmm. oh, you're in trouble for two years. Everybody hates you for two years. But at the end of the two years, you get to come out. So I kind of feel like him getting banned from the Academy Awards for a decade. I, my bloodlust has been sated. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I don't know. I I, I kind of. 
from where I'm at, I'm like, all right, you're free to work again, Will Smith. Everybody was really mad at you. You've made a public apology and you were banned from the Academy Awards for 10 years. So like, yeah, I, I, I feel all right now. I do. I would love to hear from Chris, uh, 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 from, from Chris Rock, but uh, you know, whatever. Jason, what do you think? Yeah, you know, uh, it was a well-acted apology. Mm. Uh, you know, well scripted, well done. Uh, uh, boy, I, I got that reminiscent Johnny Depp, Amber Heard trial thing cooking in my head. Like, uh, it, it, someone's got to win whatever the award is Academy Award, Oscar. I don't, those things confuse me, but someone's got to win an award for this. Uh, I don't know. It's, I, I kind of read through, I watched it. And the thing that got to me was, uh, you know, because sometimes I, I counsel corporate folks on how to do apologies. And there are always three parts of it. You know, you got to say, I'm sorry. Like mm. me, I'm sorry. You got to actually apologize. You got to take responsibility. Wait, for- wait, wait, wait. Can, can you say, I'm sorry you feel that way? Is that okay? No, no, no. No. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. No, That's why my no, relationships keep feel that down. way. Uh, you gotta, and, and he did that. Uh, uh, Will Smith did that. He did a nice job saying, I apologize. It's on me. That's, you know, it's not acceptable. The second thing you got to do is you have to acknowledge the harm you've done. And he did that. You know, he said, Hey, I, I really hurt people. I didn't realize how much I hurt people, but he kind of detailed that like, okay, two for three, let's see if you get the third one. The third one's all about how you are going to make changes to make it better. Otherwise you're really not sorry. You know, you're not sorry if you're not going to do anything different in the future. You know, like, yeah, the next guy who says that I'm going to cold cock that guy too. Well, then we have a problem. Uh, and you go in, if you read it, and, you know, I, I bet you, I bet you read this in there, Andrew, or he said, yeah, it's, it's my trauma that I want, that I might disappoint people. So I, I, I'm living with this trauma of disappointing people. Like, fuck, dude. But, but I, that, that was actually just to be fair, that was the answer to the third question, which was from a fan. How do you feel about the people that loved you and you let them down and disappoint? So he his answer was disappointing and letting somebody down will is a trauma for me. Just to be fair. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's I, I, uh, I, I am not as charitable as you. Uh, <laughs> no, um, I'm just saying because I'm from, yeah, from no, the no, it's, just being, yeah. it's fair. No, that's, that's, yeah. uh, you know, he was asking, I, like, I'm hey, a softie how... and I, I get a lot of bar fights. So I just, I feel like let's go to Norm. But before that, I just want to say the first seller talk, the very first one, uh, one of the t- topics was public apologies, how you apologize, why someone fail and someone doesn't. So you can watch it when it's released. It's pretty good. Norm, what do you think? Uh, I thought those were great answers already. I mean, the, the, that third aspect of the apology, that's where my kids usually fail. I would think uh, they, <laughs> they, they know how to make the hostage video, but they can't commit to not doing it again in, in the future. I mean, I mean, apologies are meaningless for the most part, right? Especially when, when someone's doing it to get themselves out of trouble. Uh, my, my mind always wanders when these things happen to the people who have done things and have been embraced uh, that were worse and didn't apologize. Like, Al Sharpton and Tawana Brawley or something, you know, like, like this, there's just no rhyme or reason to where we draw the line as a culture. Like this is crossing the line. I don't know. But I mean, I mean, I thought with Will Smith, it was terrible. And, but I agree. I mean, he apologized and, you know, I'm, I'm okay. If he works again, I, I was okay. If Mel Gibson worked again. I don't know. What, what, what did Mel Gibson do wrong? 
<laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Fair I'm point. Actually, actually, that was the best Fair point. <laughs> Listen, we, we all have a bad day sometimes. I think I speak for everybody. We all have a bad day and punch Chris Rock in the face. This is just part of the human experience. So, like, and I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you're right. So, like, Eric Clapton with, with some, like anti vax things, I, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. And and he'll never be forgiven for that. Like, you know, yeah. it's, just, it's just no logic to it all. Yeah. But, but on the other made, hand, would when you go sorry when you go for for like from Chris Rock's point of view, it's like oh everybody's being a victim. So you are okay to insult me on the public stage like that, and then come a couple of months later and say I'm sorry, and then it should be all okay. So I think we should have to come up with something like Andrew say yeah, uh, like a public a thing, and I'm going to do that. Well, no, the, the point was made. He 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 he's been banned from the Academy for ten years. And that's he's Will like, Smith. He's not going to be nominated. But, okay, again. but okay, but Mike Tyson was accused was was convicted of rape, and then he headlined on Broadway with standing ovations. You know, so if Will Smith get, got banned from the Academy, he well, did his time. Well, that, do, that's, doing not, his time. that's not a very good example, no. Because if you're in the same room with Mike Tyson, you will do a standing ovation. <laughs> get some. Uh, <laughs> right, right. Not no, not, not every not not everything is a pitch, Hasta. Hasta. But but <laughs> but, but uh. Uh, it, it listen, I, I, knowing Chris as we do, we feel the urge to be loyal to him and, t- and say Will Smith should never fucking work again. But, um, you know, I, I have to try to look at it objectively beyond the fact that I know the people, know one of the people involved and feel, uh, uh, you know, feel for him. And I think that, uh, yeah, Will Smith should be able to work again. He apologized. Wait, so, so I, I, I got I don't know the answer to this question. I, I know that the Academy Awards have given him a ten-year probation or a ten-year ban, right? Mm-hmm. Chris Rock did not press charges, correct? Like, because he could have, he could have yes. pressed for assault, and like, yeah. like to me, that so. those would be the two relevant places to to punish him. Like, if Chris Rock said, "I'm, I'm, I'm charging this guy with assault," I would support Chris Rock. I'd be like, yeah. "Yeah, you got punched in the face because you made a joke and a guy went ape shit." Like, you can press for assault. I'll support you. He didn't though. And so I, I'm at least I don't think he did. So I, I'm inclined to go. Okay, I, I don't. It's harder for me, I guess, just being like the public in a kind of vague miasma to think of how we're supposed to respond. I'm more concerned with Chris Rock and the institution where it took place. So like <laughs> I, I take, I take, I have, I take issue with that actually because I, I, I don't know, but I believe this thing of um, pressing charges uh is is of a time when there wasn't video evidence of of everything so that mm-hmm. if the person uh who was a victim wouldn't testify it really was not practical to to press charges or, or you know to bring charges and i would say maybe there's an exception where there's a, a marital thing and the wife doesn't press charges and perhaps she thinks the damage to the family would be worse if the husband were prosecuted i mean i could i could think of certain scenarios where what I'm thinking might not apply, but in general, if the state sees somebody assault someone else, the state should not put the victim on the spot to press charges because it's awkward for the victim, especially in a the public. That's true. They should press charges. Yeah. You, you assaulted him. We're arresting you. I mean, yeah. he's not going to go to jail for ten years. He's going to go. Right. He's going to do community service or whatever yeah. it is. But they, they shouldn't have this pressing charges thing anymore. You and I, Noam, I agree with you. I think you're right about that. I yeah. think like when if 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 it's a situation where it's two people having an interpersonal dispute that doesn't violate the law, then we can we can defer to that person. When you actually are assaulting somebody else, you have now entered the public sphere. You're right about yeah. that. Like you you've, yeah. you've committed you've you've violated the law. 
And and you're right. Yeah, I I think well, you're, you're right about that. It it also, like I said, it also takes off the table what we know is true that people are afraid to press charges sometimes, especially because they know that there might be repercussions or retribution. So I think it'd be healthy if the state was saying, we don't care what the victim mm -hmm. says. If we know you did it, we're going to yeah. press, we're, we're going to, we're going to prosecute you. Anyway, go ahead. Well, according to my sources, which is the internet is uh, two cops showed up to, uh, to the Oscars and asked a few, but he like Norm is hundred percent. Right. And not to mention, it's going to be also weird with black comedian, black actor pressing charger. Like that's another uh, layer to it. I don't know if he wants to do that. Yeah. What you could do is that's what you're talking about, kind of civil versus criminal charges. You know, uh, Chris Rock wouldn't. You know, it's uh, it's more of a civil matter, really. It's you, you when you assault someone, you violate the state's laws, just like you were, just like you were yeah. saying. You you don't really. I mean, the 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 prosecutors really try to make sure that, like, hey, we're not asking someone to press charges who doesn't want to. But you're absolutely right. Some people yeah. will not want to press charges because man that's you know what if he cold cocked me up there like oh boy do i really want to press charges against will smith you know that might yeah. you know you know chris rock is a you know you know kind of a famous enough has enough kind of status for that not to maybe impact him later but you know like if, if, he, if he'd cold cocked an extra trying to get their sag card there's a very good chance that that extra oh. would not want to press charges exactly absolutely that's exactly your point that's exactly yeah. your point Noam. that at, like there's a power dynamic at play that kind of isn't there with chris rock yeah and also this i mean there's so many ways you could look into this but also the state uh doesn't have a criminal law simply on behalf of the victim it's on behalf of state so this person right. can this person gets away with it he might be emboldened to do it again to another person you know there's so many reasons and i do think a lot of it is a, a, a an artifact of the time when um there just wasn't so much clear indisputable indisputable evidence that existed beyond the testimony of the person mm. so yeah. anyway and and for chris rock not to sue uh will smith makes us know something new about him some people didn't know uh he's not jewish <laughs> Would you stop with the Jewish jokes, please? He, he, he uh, you know, you know, we're sensitive. Um, uh, I, is I that think Stephen, Stephen, outside Steve was right behind you. Yeah, yeah, he is. Well, he's in Maine with me. Yeah. What? Steve, you've I been, you've been spotted. Yeah. I thought you said he was. It was fun there. Okay. Oh, brother. Um, but I, I wonder. And I've got what, what you were saying. Go ahead. Next. <laughs> well, also at the garden when Will Smith and uh, last Thursday, uh, Will Smith, Kevin, I mean, not uh, Chris Rock, uh, Kevin Hart and Chappelle went on the stage together with the goat uh, and they named the goat Will Smith. I mean, he's a comedian. He's going to come <laughs> out after him with a yeah, with joke. I mean, they're going to they're going to kill him. So it's going to be crazy. All right. Next one. Uh, the Biden administration offer uh, convicted Russian armed dealers in exchange for um uh, the basketball players, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Griner and uh, wife. Uh, so, and of course, I have to share my favorite uh, thing with you, but I'm t I'll tell one actually. Uh, what's, what's, what's your thoughts on that? Well, it kind of makes me nostalgic. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Gen Xer, I'm a kid of the 80s, and, you know, it kind of prisoner exchanges with the Soviet Union. Ah, uh, just takes you back, doesn't it? You know, kind of a you know, kind of a strongman dictator in the Soviet Union trying to arrange uh, a, a release of you know our prisoners for theirs, kind of bridge of spies thing cooking. 
You think Tom Hanks will star in that uh, when they make <laughs> a movie about this? That's kind of my thought. That's who, that's what I want there is you know, <laughs> Tom Hanks to reprise his role as the lead negotiator uh, on this. It, it, it totally minimizes the really nasty situation for these people, but uh, come on. Uh, it's, uh, this, uh, it's a tough deal. Uh, this is my favorite one. Doesn't seem like a very good thing. <laughs> so Trump said today that Britain grind a prisoner swap is not a very good. <laughs> well, she's not I, a very good arms dealer. Like you look at her record. That's the thing. Yeah, she's she's, she's a terrible arms, arms dealer. No, um, what do you think? I have I, I have zero opinion on this. I know that uh, people whose loved ones are not implicated can quite often be uh, very against prisoner exchanges or terrorist swaps or, or anything like that. And I've always felt that um, if I were in that situation, I would hope that my country, you know, did whatever they could to get me back. So um, I'm sympathetic to these things. I, I know there's a moral hazard and somehow, I guess that's more with terrorism. I, I don't, what, is there a downside that I'm not understanding? What's the downside here? I'll be, I'll be the bad guy. Um, so, OK, so I, I think um, all due respect to our former president, I wouldn't look at it in terms of like how much each individual is worth, which seems to be where he's coming from uh, in terms of just is it worth having an American citizen who's been detained probably on bullshit charges. But if they weren't bullshit charges, they still shouldn't be detained. It was like marijuana or something, for Christ's sake. Yeah. Let's bring her back in, in terms of just a, a one-to-one swap. I'm, I'm fine doing that. Even though an arms dealer is terrible, et cetera, et cetera. I, I'm not going to hold out for, for a better hostage. The only concern I have, and, and the reason that this is a rarity in terms of state department protocol is just the, the concern is that we might incentivize Russia to capture more people on bullshit charges because we've done this once. Um, they are an unscrupulous regime that doesn't believe in rule of law. The fear would be that they'll just capture another athlete next time they want to get a, a, some arms dealer from, again, on trumped up bullshit charges. So that, that's my fear about this. I'm, I'm very, very glad that we're going to get these people home. And, um, and I mean, Russia I, have not responded yet. So no, well, like from what I've heard, they seem to have done the legwork on this to where it's it's very likely we're gonna we're gonna be able to pull this off but i'm so, i hope it doesn't become a normal thing so that that is always the fear and and you know it, it's best uh, probably illustrated by studying the um israeli uh, terrorist swaps you know but uh in the end israel does it and sometimes they 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 israel uh, it, i mean it's like 20 to 1 or 30 to 1 you know to get one person out and israel is very very sensitive about incentivizing this stuff but uh like I said, in the end, they, they, they can't bear it otherwise. And, I, you know, it, it's, it's, it's an impossible moral thing. Well, I mean, like, like that, that might be part of it. I mean, like one of the this, this is an odd analogy to use, but in the justice system, the, the position we take in the United States, which I think is very good, is it's better to let multiple guilty people walk free than have one innocent person unjustly incarcerated, right? I think the, the direct hostage swap they're doing right now, just the situation on the ground is similar to that, where we've got somebody that I would say is innocent or should at most get a slap on a wrist for fucking marijuana, uh, and it's better. To get that person back and, and into safety and back into the the United States, then then and let this other monster go free, right? We would rather do that. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it might be a thing where, like, I don't know, we just really keep our eyes on some oligarchs that are hanging out in America, and it never came to that where we did have. Um, a, but I mean, that's that's an attitude in the world anyway. 
like they always tell you like if you're American, be careful because you know it could be captured in certain things you know certain places um, I, yeah i don't want to go to north korea I, I i have friends that have gone i think it's a very bad idea to go um yeah. i'm i'm kind of I've been to China a couple of times. I did China International Stand-Up Comedy Competition a couple of years ago. I'm, I'm sort of disinclined to go now at this point, too, um, just because I could. I don't know. I'm kind of mouthy and I don't like communism. I could see I could see stuff happening. Wait, you went a competition there. How how do you how do when I get those? Oh, I, I didn't. Win. I got into finals. No, no I, I'm sorry. I went. I went. Uh, uh, I got no, into no, the finals. I, no, what I'm saying, what 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 was the criteria? It's a it's a voting system. Um. They had judges. They used to that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they they had judges that I'm sure were elected by a plebiscite of the people, yeah. reflecting the yeah. will of the it's working a, man. It's like having a, a com comedy competition in the Middle East, and the winner with 99.9 percent is yeah. Muhammad. Well, the, so <laughs> there was, for, for, to be clear, there was a lot of bullshit. Uh, yeah. I, I don't I actually. I don't fault the the fact that I didn't win. I, I'm not. I, I think the, the 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 dude that won legitimately won. I don't speak Mandarin. So yeah. like I'm like I, I think I I'm, I'm happy with my placement of that. The the bits that were bullshit were uh, we were told in no uncertain terms you cannot make any jokes involving um, Tiananmen Square, Tibet, uh, uh, Taiwan, or mm -hmm. any living member of the Politburo. And I'm like, that's my whole act. What else am I going to do jokes about now? Is <laughs> Taiwan jokes and Tiananmen Square jokes? So there was government malfeasance going on, but I I, I don't know to what extent it took place in terms of uh, in terms of placement. Hey, hey, I know I didn't want to talk about but just since since we have such a, a highly informed, uh, seemingly highly, highly informed panel here. My kids yes. are making noise. Uh, does anybody ahead. know one way or another who's right in this John Stewart versus the Republican uh, battle about whether there was a bookkeeping gimmick in this pact uh, law and all that? I, oh, I was that the, that. was that, that the uh, you were the soldiers were exposed to the tar pits, uh, flaming tar pits or something like that in Iraq? Wasn't wasn't that what he was talking about? Or am I getting the wrong thing? Yeah, yeah, there's something like that. And then, oh, oh I, well, if you don't know, you don't know. But uh, and then John Stewart is claiming that the Republicans turned it down because they're cruel and heartless. And the Republicans are saying that, no, we turned it down because at the last minute there was some like creative bookkeeping change in the act, which made it possible for the democrats to spend an equal amount of money on something else uh you know like one of these uh, things and and they're denying it and john stewart is saying um they're full of shit and i've been trying to figure out who was right it's i thought you might know if you don't know then it's okay it'll come out eventually but i'm curious i think well i mean it's uh, no i don't know the specifics but man that's politics 101 put you know put a poison pill inside a bill like you can't you know like like, hey, it, if you vote against a spending bill, you know, you're voting against puppies. Yeah. You know, that, that's at, why we have uh, laws with crazy shit on them. You know how, like, every once in a while, there'll be oh, a yeah. clickbait article that's like 22 laws you can't believe in America. And, like, one of them's like, you can't bring a polar bear in a movie theater. The way those creep in is some guy in the state legislature can, like, shoehorn an amendment in at the last minute to fuck up the bill. That way he could, like, go, ha ha, you idiots did this thing. And they could use it to pelt him. Yeah, it, it right. it's so yeah, it's uh, I got a feeling that has something to do with it that yep, you had to vote against it, you put them in a real it, it, it's good political, it's good politics, you know, you force the republicans to take a vote that will do badly for them in the midterms. Classic stuff. That's I'm surprised there's not more of it to be honest. Yeah, All speaking right. of uh, yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, well, they, they did exactly what you did, by the way, with this um, with this contraception bill. Uh, if you followed that at all, 
where you know the Republicans voted against the bill which would legalize contraception. And if you and if you look at the fine print, the the law includes these uh, 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 labor-inducing pills that you could take. I think for the first eight or twelve weeks. So of course, Republicans are not going to vote for that because they just got what they wanted on abortion. But uh, and of course the and the media played along by not even reporting the fact that that was the reason the Republicans voted against it to try to make it seem. And I'm not I'm not taking a position on it. I'm just saying you know these are the relevant yeah. facts. So there's there's a um, ton of political malfeasance yeah. that goes into these things. Like like yeah. unless because I'm out of the country now, so I've, I haven't followed the news really closely the last few days. But the House voted to legalize gay marriage in the wake of uh, Roe v. Wade including 47 Republicans that got on board. Multiple Republican senators like Susan Collins were like, I will vote for this if it comes to the Senate. At least when I took off a week and a half ago, Chuck Schumer went, well, we'll see if we have time. I was like, what? Like you can, you can legalize gay, like you could through, through the legislature, you can legalize this next week. And it's like, I think the, like, this is just me, but I think the cynical thing going on is that he's going, well, if we do that, we can't, like really pound the Republicans on being homophobes anymore. So we don't want to, we don't want to lose like eh, maybe in the future. Um, and that Republicans- is amazing. I didn't know about that. I have to look into that. I'm, I'm of the opinion that it's not constitutional to legalize these things in that way. Uh, but that's, that's a whole nother matter. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm for gay marriage, but I, I just don't see how they can legalize things. I, I, I have a feeling that that's not constitutional. But I don't think the Republicans or the Democrats care about that. Anyway, but go ahead. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, no, go ahead. I, I guess I guess to finish up real quick, like I, I've, I've talked to Justin Amash a few times and he like who left the Republican Party and is no longer a member of either party. And like he was telling me about how like he would approach the Democrats that were in power at that time. And he'd go, I actually really like this bill and I, I would be happy to vote for this bill. But you're going to have to change this one thing. I just can't vote for based on this one thing. It's kind of minor. And they'd go, we're not looking for bipartisan help on this bill. And it wouldn't pass because like and like, like a, a lot of the bills that are passed are complete signaling mechanisms. And I I, I said, real quick, for anybody at home who thinks I'm shilling for the Republicans, I'm making a moral distinction between regular humans and blood-sucking politicians. I'm lumping all of them into the blood-sucking politician category. This is a politician thing. But a lot of the time, the goal is to just, how do we use this to defeat the other party in the midterms? And then they pass everything last minute in an oh-fuck panic omnibus bill at the end of the session. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. True. Very correct. Um, all right, let's go to the third um, thing in the news. The Fed makes history with a second massive rate hike as many mounts. I have no idea what that means, but, you know, I was hoping one of here, you guys, I don't know what, when they say we raise the, the you know, um, the interest for the second time, you know, it sounds like something I should know about, but I was like, okay. Yeah. So anybody knows what they're talking about? And how is that? Well, Norm is a businessman, so he must know. Is that a good thing or a bad thing, Noam, when they do it again? Raising the rates? Yeah. I, I guess it's 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 a necessary yeah. thing. The, the interest rates. Yeah, I understand. I, I mean, uh, listen, in, in my lifetime, uh, everything, either side is something about economics has turned out to be uh, false. Uh, nobody's, nobody's ever gotten anything right, left, right, center. So uh, I, I don't know much. I, I guess... I guess I should rephrase that. I guess the the one time somebody did get something right was in the eighties when they raised rates, and they and they got rid of inflation. So, it's probably the right thing to do. Is it's it's probably the most likely correct thing to do. I mean, this you know you need to know a lot to have an opinion on this. Yeah, yeah. I've so so I I host a show that's 
a policy show, but I'm kind of funny. It's one of those shows, substance of a funny, you know, you know, the genre. And I, I brought on an economist to talk about this. And I talked to him for an hour and a half and I'm still mystified. It's really complex. I'm, I'm a reasonably smart guy. I have a master's degree. I'm still befuddled by this. I brought on two more economists to talk to them. Uh, and by the, like, I started out going, ah, the fed's horrible. And then I talked to the two new economists. So I'm like, ah, the fed, they're smart guys. We're our, our currency is doing better than Europe. Um, for, here, here's what I know is going on for anybody that's even more befuddled and mystified. I am listening at home. Um, part of part of the the currency, the, the capital that's inflating right now, is the fact that that banks can loan out um, more money than they have. They can leverage their assets. So if they have, and I don't remember what the exact ratio is, but let's say you've got a billion dollars in the bank, you can actually loan out a, a significant amount of that, um, and and um, that itself is part of the currency. So when the Fed changes their interest rates on how on the money they're loaning to the banks, that limits the banks on how much money they can loan out, which means there's less money available for investment, which slows down the economy and contracts the, the monetary supply, which brings inflation back. And the fear is that if you do that too hard, there won't be enough money to go into uh, the economy via investment, and it'll uh, precipitate a recession. So the Fed finds itself in a very tricky situation right now, where they want to limit the interest rates that'll stop the banks from loaning money out all the time, which will in turn lower uh, inflation. But if they do it too hard, they'll trigger a recession. And uh, they have a, a twofold agenda to uh, stabilize prices and to keep unemployment very low. And unemployment is low at the moment, but they're, they're doing a tight walk, a tight rope walk. Uh, I will. Well, let me. I will. Yeah, I will tell you something that's interesting. I had Jason Furman on my other podcast the other day, and he's one of the economists who kind of predicted inflation. Larry Summers being the most yeah. notable one, and he told me something that I thought was kind of scandalous. He told me that he uh, felt much more strongly that they were making a mistake by pumping all the money into the economy than he publicly said. He said that he uh, he felt that way. He did say it a little bit, but he kind of held his tongue. That's his words. And then he also said that all the other economists he knew, professional economists, felt that way as well. And almost none of them said so because they felt it would uh, look bad for them to say so. The peer pressure for them to keep quiet was overwhelming, essentially, I guess, because academia is uh, you know, democratic, democratic occupied territory. And the, there were so many democratic uh, wish lists policies that were going to get into this bill they didn't want the people they didn't want to be the, the ones that might have uh, jeopardized that but it's just a, it's a scandal because the people we depend on to guide us uh felt they had to stay quiet while they saw something terribly wrong going on see this so is why we should only put really unpopular people on the fed yeah. Nobody on the Fed who has multiple friends or is having sex on a regular basis should be allowed to fuck with monetary policy because they've got yeah. too much to lose. But if we take people that are really nerdy and know math really well that aren't getting invited to birthday parties, we can rely on them to not be subject to peer pressure. There's, there's I think a, you, you, yeah, God. Well, no, there's a debate out there. You could Google Larry Summers versus Paul Krugman debate. There's two of them. The first one and some German guys moderating it. And And, you know, if you listen to it, it's obvious. This is this is when Biden had first proposed the 1.8 trillion, and I mean, uh, uh, Summers just just knocks Krugman all around the ring. I mean, just buffets them like, like Krugman is just getting walloped left and right. It's so clear to anybody that Summers is correct, and um, 
you know, and, and that had me sold. But Summers apparently was the only one, and they, they, they say he's kind of Asperger, he doesn't care what people think of him. He was the only one who had the nerve to say these things. Of course, Republicans say it, but people, the Republicans will say it even when it's not true, right? The Republicans are always going to say that the democratic policies are going to lead to economic ruin. So, so it's the, you know, the, the grown-up Democrats that are key here, because if they have integrity, you can kind of gauge what you think is right and wrong. And he was the only one who, who had the nerve to say what was, if you listen to this debate, seems pretty obvious that, that it was true. And sure enough, here we are in this situation. Jason? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I'm kind of with you, Andrew. I just, you know, the more I listen to it, the less I think I understand about it. And so I pulled up a chart on, uh, there's a chart, you can just Google it. The, it's a 62-year historical chart mm-hmm. on the relationship between recessions and interest rate uh, hikes. And there's just there's basically no correlation between the two. It's okay. just it it looks like random guessing to me. Uh, but what what strikes me is that kind of the the problem is okay. I and our raise interest rates by quarter point, three quarters of a point, whatever the point you decide it's going to be. It's not like the next week people stop going to Target, you know, and stop or you know people kind of cancel their vacation right away. So the impact of your rate hike might be three, six, nine months down the road. Well, by that time, your federal fund open rate, open market committee has met two or three more times. You might get some early indicators here and there, but they're they're trying to predict the future. And uh, we're all shitty guessers. And they're as uh, predicting the future more than a few months out is really, really, really difficult. Uh, so I, boy, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like to be one of them. Uh, I, I, just looking at it, I mean, we're still at, even though we've raised interest rates, what, two and a quarter points in the last, you know, over the last few months here, we're still, I mean, it just look historically, I'm looking at this chart, uh, 1980, the interest rate, let me see if I can scroll on that. Think about this. Uh, uh, it's 19, we're over 20, we're like almost 21%. The interest rate or, was 21%? This is during the interest rates? Yeah, interest rates. Uh, they were really, uh, Vol- Volcker jacked them up under Carter. Oh, like, yeah. It was like, no, if you were buying was, a house in the late 70s, it was tough. Yeah, you. Yeah, your home mortgage now, what, you know, you get one for three, four-ish percent. I remember when my parents bought a house, I think the interest rate was 22, 23%, yeah. something like that. You know, just crazy. I mean, that's uh, so. I mean, compared to where we were, I mean, the kind of policy we have right now for you know that the Fed is pretty hands off now compared to what it was. We had, we uh, we ain't seen nothing yet. Uh, mm-hmm. If you know inflation gets bad, like really really bad, and stays bad, it's not a it's not a shock. Uh, we got a long way to go to where historically we've been. Uh, kind of living memory for a lot of us. So. Uh, you know, what will they do later this year? No fucking idea. Not, well, not I, a, I hope they get well, it right. Because again, it sucks if you go too far either direction. If you go too far and inflate, I mean, it, like, like, so if, 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 if governments, which I don't think we're, eh, maybe they're doing, I don't know. When, when, a, when a government needs to get out of debt and they, they can't, they don't have the will to actually just raise taxes to get out of the debt uh, or cut spending, both of which are very unpopular, what governments 
tend to do is just inflate away the debt. Because if you right. reduce the value of the currency, if I owe you $100 and $100 is worth half as much, I only owe you half of $100 from yesterday, right? So governments tend to do that. So that's a horrible option because that's just the government stealing from us without at least the dignity of taxes paid in the meantime. Conversely, if you go too far in the other direction and you really hike up the interest rates, you get deflation, which I suppose I would prefer because in that case, at least your money's worth more. But it also causes all these other problems because if the, if the monetary supply is now worth more significantly than it was last week, that means that if I'm paying you $80,000 a year and then the, the, the monetary supply experiences deflation, really, I ought to give you a pay cut. And it's really difficult to send everybody in your company a letter and go, you're actually getting paid the same amount. I'm not making this up, but I am going to reduce your salary by $10,000 because we're experiencing deflate. That, that fucks up an economy because then people are like, fuck you. I just won't come to work anymore. And I'll wait until the money gets back up to where it is. So they've, they've got a very narrow, uh, narrow range they can operate in. Yeah, that's, that's called Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Stagflation. What, what, yeah. I, what I wish nasty, they would do in the meantime. Nasty couple of decades. I, I don't I I've taken a couple of economics courses, but I'm I'm not an economist. I'd say I'm like at best a four out of ten on all of this. So monetary policy still mystifies me. What I can say is while this wouldn't be a silver bullet, it would perhaps make a one to three percent difference. Something that the the executive branch and the legislative branch can do is lower tariffs. Um, tariffs are just a tax on imported goods to punish you for the audacity of buying something from a foreigner and they drive up prices. If you got a washing machine that has lug nuts that are being imported from Korea, we have tariffs on lug nuts that gets all pushed to the consumer to punish you for daring to buy something with Korean parts in it. If you get rid of those, that'll reduce prices. It's not a silver bullet. It's not going to it's not going to reduce inflation enough to to uh, lower the 9% we're currently experiencing, but it would at least help. And I I wish somebody would do that in the meantime. Yeah. And just to touch back in uh, the beginning of the show about Will Smith apology, I want to apologize for listeners for asking this question. Um, I didn't ask you guys to be smart for 30 minutes, <laughs> but that was uh, that was pretty good. No, didn't work. Okay. <laughs> All right, let, let, let's move on. So I'm glad that we have Jason. I was just uh, glad to say I have Jason, then Jason left. <laughs> oh, I, just, um, I, had a, I so, had a ceiling fan. I'm turning it on. I, just, I, just, uh, I like okay. some air movement in here. So 90 degrees last, over here. Oh, it's crazy here too. Um, so your book, we had so much fun last time also on the episode about how each president sold the American idea. So I think we can, you know, we obviously didn't cover every president, but I'm glad. I, it's one of the episodes I always hope Norm is here, you know. Um, uh, so let's talk about uh, Roe versus Weed, for, for example, you know, which each president, how would, how would they, uh, what do you think each president, who would be, we talked a, lot, a little bit uh, about uh, different things last time with Trump. I think we picked three, three presidents and you told us how they sold the American idea. But what about uh, specifically Roe versus Wade? What do you think this would have fly uh, among all of them? You mean Dobbs or Roe versus Wade? You mean the repeal Roe of Roe versus Wade? Yeah. Yeah, that's. You know what's you know what's funny to me about that? I'm my uh, my next book I'm working on just focuses on the 1920s. Well, kind of the big the big sticky wicket from kind of a big legal uh, thing in the 19. It was uh, prohibition, of course. What people kind of forget about prohibition is that it basically poisoned politics and political parties in the same way that uh, abortion access has done recently. For 50 years before Prohibition, it was the anti-saloon league. They were going after, you know, it, it was all about, you know, kind of reducing the amount of alcohol, that people were lazy, all of the same kind of moral arguments that you hear kind of on the abortion side today. And what they figured out 
is that they would support anyone, Democrat, Republican, anybody at any level, if they were dry. You know, they they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't support, uh, you know, uh, they wouldn't support uh, alcohol. And there were laws kind of in states, all of the blue laws that are still on the books in a lot of places come from that era. Uh, where, you know, over time they kept working and working and working at it until finally they got, uh, you know, they got that passed in Congress to go through the, you know, the constitutional amendment process, bullied legislatures, you know, the three quarters of legislatures to get it on the books. And it fell apart almost immediately uh, when it hit the books. It was something like that night, the night prohibition went into effect was the first time that they caught run runners going from Ontario to Detroit. The very first uh, uh, arrests were that night. So I think about that. And I, I think whether you're going to whatever side you're on on abortion access, uh, it was almost the worst possible thing, you, you know, for the, you know, kind of a, uh, abortion opponents legally, you know, kind of from a public opinion perspective, like, hey, guys, you won. You know, you won. You got it. You know, Roe v. Weeds overturned. Uh, the, because the next thing that happens is a mess and it is, you know, it's, it kind of, uh, energizes people on the other side to, you know, to go get that back. It took about 12, 13 years, of course, before prohibition to be repealed, but it was a mess from day one. So I look at Roe v. Wade and the, uh, you know, the court case, uh, you know, to, you know, that, uh, that threw it out as a, uh, kind of a feric victory. You like we don't have a good history in the United States of taking away rights from people, restricting their actions. Prohibition, if uh, you know when you when you look at it, it was only what the uh, just a few times uh, in where you were actually removing rights from people. Like you know, you can't own slaves. That's a good thing. Mm. And this was like, hey, in the Constitution, you could not. You know, it was one of the the second one that would take something away from people. Good luck. Uh, I think it's one of the best things that if we're thinking about it, like an equal rights amendment, for instance, and, you know, what would be what would be the energy behind an equal rights amendment? This would be it. And I I would suspect that within a decade, we'll have an equal rights amendment. And all of that will get pushed off to the side. Uh, We just don't have a good history of taking rights away from people. And uh, this is one of those places where the president doesn't really matter that much. This is uh, um, Americans as a group are funny about like it. Politics is a bit of a sideshow for most people. But isn't the president that signed the judges? Excuse me. The presidents are the one that signed judges. The point. Of yeah, they're, but that's that's an imperfect kind of science there. You know, uh, only recently have justices uh, at the, you know, at the appellate level, the federal level and the Supreme Court, uh, you know, we we tend to think that they kind of vote in line with the person who nominated them and that they'll they'll kind of hold to that. The reality, though, is not that clear cut. It's yeah. it's really tough to align what a justice does 10 years after they were nominated. Look at John, you know, Justice Roberts. Yeah. You know, not really, uh, you know, not what you would expect. Certainly not the justice you would have expected yeah, the, the, to the, the, the chief Obama. justice appointed by George W. Bush, who yeah. like was a stickler for precedent and 
Yeah, up, up, upheld Obamacare, didn't vote on uh, to, to overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, you had George H.W. Bush appointing, I think it was Breyer. He also yeah. appointed a, a late, uh, um, Sotomayor to the federal court seat, not to the Supreme Court, but her first judgeship was under George H.W. Bush. Like, really, it's not up. And I'm I'm not even blaming him. It's not until like Bork and Clinton, like kind of that era that, that judgeships went from being just based on competency to political. Like, OK, great example. Um, Scalia got Scalia got, uh, I think, appointed to the Supreme Court with like a 98 to two vote in the Senate. This is Antonin Scalia. It's like 98-2. Uh, Ginsburg uh, was like either unanimous or like 97-3. I mean, it was really up till very recently, the the protocol was like, are you a smart judge who's competent to execute these duties? And then recently, Congress and the presidency went, ah, governing's really fucking hard. I don't like doing that. So I'm just going to signal and do bullshit in the existing gridlock and we'll kick everyone into the courts. Not their job. We'll kick everyone into the courts. And then the courts had to start becoming super senators and like creating law out of the ether, which is not their job. And then then there became this weird process to try to elect a guy to point the judges that agree with me to create a law that I like, even though it's yeah. Yeah, this is that this is that same thing that if you uh, a lot of people, I, there will be folks out there that listen to this that think I'm making an unfair comparison between kind of Roman late Roman Republic, you know, kind of American Republic. But this is exactly what happened there where the you know, the, the senators lost their balls and they were all men. So they did lose their balls and they weren't eunuchs, by the way, uh, for the most part. Uh, they didn't, they kind of ceded their responsibility to Marius, to Sulla, to Caesar, to those folks. And because legislating is hard, that did not, that was not how it used to be. You know, people think about like, oh, Washington, Adams, Jefferson, you know, these kind of great presidents early on and we focus on them. Well, up until about the Civil War era, it was really Congress that had all the power, you know, and there are a lot of reasons why presidents have become more powerful in recent decades. But I think the biggest thing is the the House and the Senate have found that much of what they do now is kind of performative. And what they're really hoping is, hey, should Joe Biden cancel student debt? That's not his fucking job. It is the legislator's job to decide if contracts are invalid. That's a law change, not an executive order, because the next dude who gets in or the next woman who gets in could just say, well, I don't like that executive order and I'm going to switch it back. And you don't get that kind of consistency and deliberation that you really need. Uh, I think that, and you're absolutely right, Andrew, the, the judges don't like making legislation any more than the president and executive branch does. But it's not really hard to imagine yeah. no, a what president who. Well, I, 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 I don't know. Do I don't know that they don't like making legislation. They 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 seem to like it fine when they were you know, uh, uh, protecting the right to abortion. But um, I would just say on abortion, I I always try to remind people, not present company excluded, but just it just seems very hard that for the people who regard abortion as a moral calamity akin to the slaughter of you know tens of thousands of innocent lives there's nothing you're going to be able to say to them that's going to make them sorry about this outcome no more than people who were uh, you know uh, uh, outraged by slavery 
would regret the Civil War, despite the fact that 600,000 people died. They, they feel like this is an atrocity and it can't stand. And um, it's very difficult for people who don't see it that way to view it through those eyes. But when you do view it through, through those eyes, you understand. And, and if you can put yourself in those shoes, that's where they're coming from. So, and, uh, and I believe that if you graft it, you would see that, and more and more people feel that way as the time of the abortion gets later. At some point, they even get me that way. When I hear that they can have an abortion on demand, that's what I hear, at 34, 35 weeks in New Jersey. And I know that my son was born at 35 weeks. And they, I, I said, well, now, wait a second here. That sounds like murder to me. I tend to believe that if it happens in the first, I know this is not really your question, Hatem, I just find it interesting, uh, that I happen to believe that if it happens in the first two months before there's any heartbeat or, or really brain waves or feeling of pain, in, in that first period, I would be sympathetic to the argument that this is a, a religious doctrine that's being imposed in the country. And I, if I were in the Supreme Court, I would, I would hold that there's a right to abortion in that very early period and that otherwise it's establishment of religion. But having said that, I, I, you know, we all kind of hope that the states will find their own equilibrium. I think a lot of the states that have these trigger laws and abortion at conception, it was kind of like uh, they said they want to repeal and repair, repeal and replace Obamacare. And then they kind of, then when they, they had to do it. do it, they couldn't do it. I think a lot of these laws were passed never thinking they would actually uh, rule their lives. And I imagine there's a lot of people who are outraged by 10-year-olds um, not being able to have abortions in the first you know, month or whatever it is. And uh, these laws will change gradually over time. Um, but I, I would just say, finally, that if... If you could, uh, as a thought experiment, imagine that in 1973, the Supreme Court had ruled exactly the opposite way, such that human life began at conception and all legal protections to the extent possible uh, 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 were now uh, uh, under the 14th Amendment granted to uh, even uh, fetuses. Then the liberal cause for the last 40 years would have been to overturn that. And their arguments would be precisely the arguments that ruled the day in Dobbs. They would look at the history. They would say this was never the case before, that this is legislation, that the Supreme Court should go easy and, and um, you know, be restrained. So I think the arguments of Dobbs are very, very strong and uh, would be embraced in a heartbeat by liberals if the case that they wanted overturned was an example of conservative activism. And that's just my whole opinion on, on the abortion thing. I, it, it's very, very and, interesting. And do, yeah. Do you think that the presidents are important in a choice of... Uh... Well, Trump, Trump was the most consequential president ever by getting these three justices in there. Um, and he, he, the guy has balls of huge balls, right? I mean, most people thought he wouldn't have the nerve to appoint the last justice at the last minute on his way out the door, but he did it, right? So I'm not saying it's a good thing, but he did it. He definitely took advantage of that. Uh, uh, he took advantage of it and he was, uh, you can like him or not, uh, but he was, he played the game very, very well within the uh, within the bounds and even tried to stretch those bounds uh, uh, in a lot of cases. But appointing, uh, uh, you know, appointing uh, judges, it was 
it was that same thing that I remember, uh, you know, years ago, we, you know, we talked about gerrymandering, each party does it when they can. Uh, but the Republicans have been much, much better at it generally. And that's why they, uh, the House of Representatives is tilted that way. It's why the, the state houses are tilted that way. Uh, they were just better at it. And for years and years and years, uh, the Democrats just didn't really recognize that as something that would create a systemic, you know, they worked on those kind of systemic changes versus kind of quick hits. And they were playing the long game. And I, it's something that I think the on the liberal side that the liberals don't get their shit together uh, well enough to play the long game. And conservatives, like them or not, are good at that. They are better at that because they can see further out. They don't have that as much internal dissent. Uh, so they t- and plus the conservatives tend to always have, the defender tends to have the advantage uh, in, in any conflict. So, you know, if you can keep things the way they are, set the structure that it will stay the way it is, uh, you will tend to win that unless the attacker on the other side trying to make a change is very, very persistent. And I'm not sure that we see, uh, I'm not sure that I'm seeing evident, really good evidence of that on the, on the progressive side being as good at that uh, versus kind of doing Instagram stuff. Like, uh, mm. that's not going to make systemic change. That'll get you likes and clicks. Uh, if it will I, if not I can, change loss. If I can add on to Jason's bit, we're very far afield now, but I would also like to rant for a minute. Uh, one of the significant problems that we have going on that neither party is going to want to address at all is the fact that we have a two-party duopoly. There's more than two options in the country. There's more than two perspectives on the country. I suspect, I don't know, I don't know the politics of anybody on here other than the conversation we just had, but I suspect that if we were forming new political parties, we'd probably have at least three. Uh, there wouldn't just be two, right? Um, neither political party wants to get rid of that. Because if you have more than, than two political parties, you actually have to try to convince people to vote for you based on your ideas and your abilities. If you only have two political parties, you just have to convince people, look, the other guy's an evil shithead. I know you don't like me, but don't vote for the evil shithead. At the end of the day, you got to vote for me, the more okay shithead. Uh, they don't want to get rid of that. Uh, they they like having that power. Like like this is uh, Jason's absolutely right. The Republicans are rigging the game with uh, with gerrymandering. Democrats have also done it historically, but within our time period, Republicans are the one that are rampant with it. Um, Democrats talk a lot about ball- uh, ballot suppression. They don't talk about or voter suppression. They don't talk about ballot suppression. Neither do the Republicans. Ne- neither party wants a, a third party claimant to ever enter the fray. Um, the things that they could do that would alleviate these would be ranked choice voting and open primaries. If you did that. Uh, and, and you just started allowing things to happen uh, and get more parties in there, you'd have more more perspectives. But unfortunately, I think both parties like that that power dynamic that they currently have, and they're very loath to relinquish it. So I would just I want to say that my friend Harry Anton, who was uh, the data journalist with CNN, he says that ranked choice voting is a bad idea. I can't tell you why he says that. It's he doesn't say it. I can tell you this: he does not say it because he has a uh, any ideological politics sure. that he think is. Uh, uh, implicated he studied it so you know uh, it's just you know he could be wrong wanted to mention that um and what was i, I, think, I was, think that the, the, yeah. the argument well, i've heard against ranked choice voting that i think is valid is if you just have ranked choice voting that's all you have it basically just serves as a relief valve for people like me where we're like well i don't like either of the big two options so i'm going to put my guy in and he's going to lose when you only do that i think it's ineffective you have to pair that with other electoral reforms you have to be able to do other things that stop it so that it, it sort of empowers multiple choice 
I mean, we, we, we really do feel, I think probably all of us do, that there is uh, just, I mean, I, I've said on this show before, and I think it's, it's, it's correct, that the, the people, and I know you're libertarian, so you, you hate these guys anyway, but that the people who um, voted for Hillary Clinton and the people who voted for Mitt Romney don't really remember what it is they disagreed about at this point. Like, like the, 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 the choices that we used to make, not that they actually ran directly against each other, but just as you know, representative of, a, of their parties, the, 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 uh, the split has really, really widened. And we're also, at least I'm under the impression, I don't know if you guys agree, that Joe Biden is kind of a Band-Aid here, that the real energy of the Democratic Party is not Joe Biden. It's, it's really to the left right now. And who knows? I mean, Trump actually is interesting because he's actually to the left also of like where, where we thought Republicans were. But anyway, in my lifetime, I've never seen it so split. And it, it and at the same time, feeling like most people are not represented by either of those polar opposites. And that's disconcerting, right? I mean, and, and it's you get glimpses of it and see all these polls of like minorities who don't want to have anything to do with what the white progressives think they should think and what they should be called and all that stuff. Like, how is that happening? But I guess over time, I mean, over time, slowly, it does. Democracy works, right? And it'll it'll recalibrate, and hopefully, the 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 energetic center will again be represented, or the energetic centers of both sides will be represented. Which, this is a bad time. I'll, let, let me put it another way: there is nobody in politics who speaks for me right now. Yeah, Zero. Yeah. I cannot point a single politician who speaks for me. I, I'm very much which, with you, Noam, on that. Like, I, I, I also feel like I'm completely out of the loop. I will say, um, are you a I libertarian? Am, I, I'm just an independent. I like uh, because I, I don't know why Noam. Uh, I thought maybe yeah. you know something. Well, I mean, like, I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I'll say I'm a contributor at Reason TV, which is a libertarian outlet. But I like then people are like, so you want to put children in coal mines? And I'm like, no. So I'm just I'm just an independent. I like I, I want to help people. I think the government's pretty ineffective. So I'm skeptical. But if you can prove to me it's going to be a good program that'll actually fix shit, I'll get behind it. Uh, but in, in terms of like us reorganizing, I, I, I do think there's some real serious structural problems the way the way electoral democracy works in the country. And I, I'm not sure that it's just a question of people shifting back to the center. The, the thing that really worries me is the way we have it set up right now. We have closed primaries in most states, which means that the Republicans and Democrats elect their own candidate and they're the only two viable candidates when we vote. But only the extremists in either party really show up in the primaries. It tends to be that. And the districts aren't competitive anymore because of uh, gerrymandering, as Jason brought up. So all the dudes and, and dudettes in Congress know I, I do not need to worry about a threat from the other party. They're not going to take me out. We've we've rigged our district as such that I have like an 80 percent chance of winning. The only people I have to worry about is my party getting mad at me for being insufficiently conservative or insufficiently progressive. So I'm going to go out of my way never to work with the other party because I'll, I'll be seen as a traitor. And I'm going to do all these really extreme rhetoric to, to talk to my base because the only incentives I have are to appeal to my base, never to appeal to the middle, never to appeal to the other party, never to appeal to the independents and the moderates, just the base of it. And that does really worry me. I think we really need to come up with some structural reforms that, that don't force that to keep happening because I think that's why we're becoming more polarized. Which will bring me to our final uh, question. Okay, guys, like I said, there was something. Um, I hope I, there was something. Uh, can you hear me now? You yeah. got me? 
Yeah. Uh-huh. There was in, in, in 2020, there was a part of me that was hoping a small part of me that was hoping well, thought that one positive outcome of, of a Trump victory would be a, a, a dismantling of the strength of the of the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. That would be such a debacle to Trump win again that this would be just proof positive that the party had to move to the center as it had done after, you know, Dukakis and all those until Bill Clinton was elected. Um, now, if they get shellacked, people can blame it on the economy and, and whatever it is. So they may not learn that lesson, but they, they do need to learn that lesson because they really are out of step, I believe. This identity politics, uh, giving out disaster relief based on race and vaccines based on race, tax limit based on race and uh, farm aid based on race, they're not going to win with that. So I, I felt that at the time. And as far as the, uh, on the right, I would just, again, Trump wasn't that conservative, right? Trump, tr- it's Trump the person was just a fucking outrage. But Trump's policies probably are not that unpopular out of the mouth of a non offensive character. Most of them. That's yeah. all I got to say. Yeah. Uh, all right, which I, uh, I was going to say, bring me to the last question. You know, Mark, how each president sold the American idea. Who's going to sell the next American idea? So give me two names from each party that you think is going to make some damage. Let's go with uh, Jason, then Andrew, and then we'll close with Noam. Two names from each party that you think it's going to happen for the next election. I think that uh, on the on the Republican side, I think uh, DeSantis is both number one and number two. I think he is he is the one to beat. Uh, he everyone else looks like they're moving in slow motion compared to him. What he's done is he's I think he's taken some of that performative power. He's taken a look at. Like, hey, what did Trump do? What is Ocasio-Cortez doing so well? And how do I kind of have those, you know, you know, kind of Instagram moments? Uh, just enough to rile up the base, but reasonable enough not to be seen as just a loony and out of touch. On the Democrat side? Well, uh, well hold on. Who, who will be his number two, like running mate or whatever? Running mate? Uh I have no idea. I don't so have no Trump at all on your choice. No Trump at all. I don't. I I think I think Trump enjoys being a private citizen more than he enjoyed being president. That's all indications I have from all the private correspondence. If you look at it, he didn't really like the job. Uh, Actually, I don't know if you saw that latest interview with him where they asked him about DeSantis, and he's like, "I I like him. I I help. I uh, I uh, help him win." So he could be a good running mate for him, Trump. Yeah, I, I think uh, you know, it, it, you think him in Pennsylvania. You don't think Pence is going to be the, the running mate selection? No. <laughs> All right, no. What about the Democrats? Democrats, uh, I think, uh, uh, I think Cortez is Ocasio Cortez is the person to beat. That's just that's my take. She is, she is the best communicator on the Democratic side, and it's not even close. Yeah. Uh, you know, Governor of California Newsom uh, uh, has a you know kind of uh, you know what he did recently kind of 
putting his kind of uh, gun bill right up against the Texas version, kind of the anti-abortion bill that Texas put out that he kind of played that little political game with his bill, like goading the Supreme Court to say, hey, if you strike down abortion on these grounds, you should strike down some Second Amendment protections on these grounds. Wonderful political theater. Very, very good. Uh, it would not surprise me to see a Florida versus California cage match in the next election. I don't think Trump is there. And I think Biden drops out. I and don't no think he's going to run again. No Kamala. Okay. I, I don't think Kamala. I, it, vice presidents usually are nobodies and they usually lose. Andrew. I, I'm actually with everything Jason just said. I, I'd say Ron DeSantis is the, the Republican to beat. Um, I'm a little bit more bullish on Trump just because I think there's so much ego involved. Uh, and I, I think he probably does think he won. Like, I think that there's some kind of weird inability to ever perceive the universe not going with him being awesome. So I, I, I think he could run. The fact that he's not taking pot shots at DeSantis right now would indicate to me that he's he wants to be kingmaker. Uh, DeSantis, I think can absolutely um, suck all the energy out of the room. The, 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 the old way of doing politics when I was a kid was you'd, you'd run to the edge when you're getting the primaries. And then once you got the primary, you'd run to the center. You'd try to capture all the moderates because the moderates were kingmakers back in the day. We don't live in that era anymore. Today, we live in the era of free media attention. If you can get lots of attention, you're very, very powerful. Ron DeSantis is very good at that. Like, you guys remember like four months ago, the uh, you can't talk about... Um, you look at the actual like I, I i recognize that this could have been abused but the the basic idea of it of like we just don't have teachers talk about sex or marriage up until like third grade is really not controversial but he like i think he intentionally did that because he's like this is totally not controversial the republicans will love it and all the democrats will lose their fucking minds and think that this is part of an anti-gay agenda and it worked beautifully he got all this attention nationally uh so i i think ron DeSantis is is going to be really really powerful i think in like third or fourth place keep your eyes on glenn youngkin I think Glenn Youngkin's going to kind of sure. be the kind of like Romney plus. I don't know if Trump lost or not. He's going to be that kind of thing. Uh, and uh, and then, like, if I was going to pick a running mate for DeSantis, I'd say probably Nikki Haley or somebody like that. I think the Republicans are. Oh, out that's to a good balance, choice. Balance the ticket out more than they have in the past. Um, I, I, I think like. Uh, I, I think that the Republicans actually want to make Democrats cry more than they want to have white guys on the ticket. So if they can figure out a way to do that, I think they will. Uh, so so I could see someone like like I think Brad Carson's out now, but somebody like that I could see being on it. Um, as far as the Democrats go. Yeah, I don't think AOC is going to run this next time. Uh, I think she will in uh, uh, the, the cycle thereafter. Uh, I think she'll be incredibly powerful. She is a. I, I have a lot of problems with her, but in terms of her media acumen, she is a genius. She is a, a savant when it comes to media acumen. Um, I used to think that Pete uh, Buttigieg was going to be a really big deal because historically up until Trump, Republicans tend to have a kind of orderly succession system where whoever got second place last time gets to be first place last time. So like uh, McCain loses to Bush then McCain gets it. Romney lost to McCain, then Romney gets it. So Republicans tended to do that, whereas the Democrats love the shot in the dark. We're like, like, oh, my God, it's different this time. Whoa, the, the wheel is breaking. They love that shit. So like Pete Buttigieg, I thought was going to be a really big deal because he's like 15. But I've, I've now watched him several times and he comes off like a factory made politician. He's, he's just he's, he's a little too slick. I think AOC is going to do uh, really, really well um, in terms of galvanizing a Democratic Party in the future. 
Uh, and then can I can I say like what I'd love to see? Because this is yeah. not the universe I want to live in. I would yeah. love to see a unity ticket with Phil Scott from Vermont, who's a popular Republican governor, I believe the most popular governor in America, with Jared Polis, Democrat from Colorado. I that's like I would love that ticket. That'd be great, but probably never gonna probably neither will ever have any ability to run for president. So who's running for Democrat this time? This time, um, if if Biden drops out, the the shadow fight right now is between Kamala Harris and Pete Buttigieg, with Elizabeth Warren nipping at their heels. So I, I think you just see a replay of the Democratic uh, field in the last election. Okay. No. All right. Uh, so I just looked up AOC's age. She's born October 1989. So I guess it means she would turn 35 uh, a, a few weeks before the election. That's probably. Is that, am I doing my math correct? That's probably cutting it too close. Um, so I, I don't think it's going to be AOC. I, uh, I, I, it's interesting to think about the, the, like the heir apparent thing. But um, actually, if you think about um, Hillary getting the nomination and then Biden getting the nomination, the Democrats seem to be uh, embracing the kind of heir apparent thing. It kind of flipped with Trump, right? Like yeah, the, yeah. The Republicans became the, the systems, like yeah. break the fucking system. And the Democrats were like, uh, go with the comfortable. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I, I think this, this is, is the logical choice. I, I just read an article in Bloomberg comparing Florida's COVID record to California's record. And um, it, it made a pretty compelling case for DeSantis. And I have to say, I was not uh, an advocate for the, for the COVID policies. I was more cautious than he turned out to be. But, but his time has not been unkind to him. And when you when you equalize for the age of people in Florida and having the most people above 80 in the country and all this stuff, uh, Florida did quite well under COVID uh, during COVID, while at the same time not closing their schools. It was ballsy leadership. All of which say that he actually has really has a record, a real record that he can run on um, of of administrative competence based on um, his, from what I've read, uh, personal consideration and uh, uh, determination on these issues. You go into a room and get the data and read the studies. Uh, so he's a formidable guy. I don't like some of his culture war things. On the other hand, I am generally with him on the culture wars. Uh, I don't want my kids being taught uh, sexuality in, in the third grade despite the fact that I don't have any problem with my kids hanging out with gays or trans or anything like that. I just don't think I want to teach them about that stuff. I don't want that. Big you, you, you don't want public schools. education to be about indoctrination. You don't see the role of schools to mold yeah. children and, and teach them something other than what their bigoted parents thought. Right. Like right. we need to have it like crank out the kids we like. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, Even to the extent that I agree with what they're indoctrinating them. That's right, the right. point. It's yeah. like, I, I don't. I don't like setting up that infrastructure. Yeah. I just don't. You don't want a, a Prussian the, brainwashing machine. You just want to teach uh, arithmetic. Uh, yeah. Especially when they're not going to do it the way I would do it. Like for instance, you know, in high school, saying, you know, okay, here's some essays on this side. Here's some essays on that side. Why don't you? How do you feel about this issue? But they're, you know, I'm fine with them doing a deep dive into these issues. Anyway, so I, yeah, I would say DeSantis and uh, Nikki Haley is the kind of like. Uh, superficial woman and person of color so and she's you know pretty talented politician no i don't think trump i don't think trump has any okay trump in 2016 i know we have to go trump in 2016 had a a an agenda 
that reverberated with people, even me and people of my generation, it's not that America doesn't do anything anymore. We, we suck. We, we used to be able to build tall buildings. We used to go to the moon. Uh, and now we, we, we can't even build a television set and we have to control the border and drain the swamp and, you know, all these things. But yeah, you know, that, and, and having a guy who was, we didn't realize what a fraud he was, but who was like a savvy businessman, all these things I think were exciting. Um, now, what's his agenda? I was robbed. Uh, I, I, I'm going to try to build that wall again that I couldn't build. It's all, it's all personal and petulant, and I just don't see him recapturing the magic that allowed him, let's be honest, to just eke out a victory in 2016, right? Just eke it out. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it, Trump in 2020... We is, is no more mystery. We know what we're getting, and I just don't believe he could hold it together. So I'm I am not bullish on Trump at all. What about Democrats? Uh, Democrats are in a deep trouble. <laughs> I don't. I can't think of anybody that they have. I mean, like Klobuchar seemed like a pretty viable candidate on the national stage, but from what I hear, she truly is. The, the more you the more you know about her, the less you like her. That's what I've heard. I, I haven't experienced that for myself. I don't know. Like it's got I think they, they would need to have somebody not too progressive to win in twenty twenty four. I think I think strategically they're... also DeSantis with Florida is not a swing. I, I mean I haven't really been a swing state, but I mean it's taking it out of the game completely now if he runs. I mean so it's just been a lot. It's a good chance. It's been a long, I mean, it, it didn't work for Bloomberg, right? But it's been a long time since we had a candidate who actually could say, listen, I, I, look at my record. Look what I did. You know, I, I took control. Of this. And again, it didn't work for Giuliani either after 9-11 when we thought he was going to win. But still, maybe after learning some lessons as a country that it, you, you do need substance, DeSantis can make a pretty strong case that, you know, I may not agree with everything I did, but I've been a competent Governor, and you guys, here's my you guys record. See Ivanka Trump. What about Ivanka Trump? Eventually, no, no. I don't. I don't see it. Maybe I they do. Last thing you want to per, say something? Per, perhaps, perhaps someday. I don't, I'll, I'll say real quick that somebody else who thinks DeSantis is going to be a big player is Gavin Newsom, who Jason mentioned. I think uh, Gavin Newsom is going to be somebody absolutely running for president. Here's why: because he's already running for president. He he did an advertisement. I don't know if you guys have seen. He did an advertisement telling people in Florida, come to California, we're more free and explain yeah. like why, like, why is his campaign doing this? Well, because he's probably going to win governor of California again, fairly easily. And he wants to begin his election for president. So he's starting to do ads like to troll Florida, but what he's really doing is advertising himself to Florida as a potential presidential candidate. So he's, he's, I think going to be a leading contender. The, the, the obvious candidate that they had self-destructed, right? That was Andrew Cuomo. Yeah. I mean, he, he would, he would have been perfect, no, no. right? Yeah. actually absolutely all right oh yeah, yeah it's, yeah, it's tough been. you know the you know when you put up newsom against desantis you know california is not a swing state florida could be florida could be in play yeah. uh that's a possibility california is not so and that's the thing is not only he's going to take uh, florida that's why it's strategically it's, it's arizona as well like there's a couple of states next that right. he's gonna win so it's going to change the map. They got to think smart of somebody. Uh, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I think, going, you know, uh, I think DeSantis beats Newsom just on electoral math. Uh, uh, but if it's not DeSantis, then then there's a shot. 
uh, it's tough. I agree with you, Noam. The uh, uh, Democrats are in trouble with a candidate that has that's ready right now. I think AOC could be a candidate. You have some music, in Noam, behind you. Some what? Some music. Oh, sorry. Happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, Go ahead. Sorry. Good. Sorry. Continue. Yeah. Go ahead, Jason. Yeah, it's uh, when you take a look, you know, when you think about this stage in the cycle, usually you know who the candidates are, you at least know their yeah. name by this point. And that's just so important right now in name recognition. You just can't buy it that fast. So you know who they're going to be right now. It's just a matter of kind of does anyone self-destruct between now and then. And DeSantis is smart. Newsom's smart. Uh, they're pretty careful. Uh, you know, could you get someone out of Texas? But that's that's sort of the same problem. Texas is not in play. California is not in play. Yeah. New York is not in play. You know, really, the what you're looking for is a winner is someone that could carry a swing state and an important one like Ohio, Virginia, Florida. The smart electoral math for either party is picking someone from a state that you need to win in order to carry. Uh, or would be really helpful. Like yeah. Mondale. Uh, <laughs> okay, you had to bring up Mondale. Uh, <laughs> but you are in Minnesota. Or, or for that matter, I mean, Trump, Trump is a big a big con- counter to that as well. I mean, Trump was from New York and he didn't carry New York. Yeah. Um, so right. like it, it um, that, yeah, that, that. Trump was an odd duck though. Yeah. Can we yeah. all agree that Trump was yeah. a bit of a non-traditional candidate? I'll give you that. I'll concede that, Jason. He was a yeah. bit of an odd duck. Do yeah. you think DeSantis would run as a VP? Uh, sure, 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 he would. Sure, he would. Okay, I well. think he would. I mean, they, they, I've, i well, only to say that. What was the last time somebody turned down VP? You know, it, it, they, they do it. But um, I mean, didn't didn't Reagan almost agree to be VP? So, but uh, I sort of also add that Mark Halperin, the uh, you know, somewhat canceled, but but was considered to be a credible political analyst. He believes that DeSantis is um like semi Aspergery and once the country gets to know him, they won't like him either. That he's apparently mm-hmm. very, very abrasive and can, can turn people off. So I, I, yeah. I barely know anything about the guy except that, you know, whatever. I mean, we so. saw so, how many candidates we saw that was like so popular, like Chris Christie in the beginning and then everything yeah, went down to hell, you know, Christy, you know, Christy, Christy, I don't know if, if it's ridiculous, but Christy is not a bad candidate actually given he, no, but Christy, in the beginning he was like so no. I'm talking, big. I'm talking. I'm talking about now. He what he can, what he can has to recommend him in some way. But maybe this would also disqualify him. Is that he he cut ties with Trump? Uh, he wasn't yeah. one of these people who who wrapped himself in Trump to the bitter end. He was like, I supported Trump when I thought he was saying the right things, and I'm I can't and he, and I stopped supporting him as soon as he went too far, which yeah. he shows showed, he he showed some integrity. Which I think is it is it kind of funny though? What do you guys think? I actually kind of wanted to ask about this. What do you guys think about a like an influencer president, a presidential candidate, or a serious one like a uh, Joe Rogan, like a Joe Rogan, like a Matt Walsh, like a uh, you know. Like a Whoopi Goldberg. I, I'm just throwing names out. You get what I'm going for. Not John Stewart specifically, but could we get an influencer candidate that either does really well, gets a VP nod, or even kind of just says, Hey, we're tired of all of these guys? You know, we would want a Ben Shapiro instead. 
So could like, that happen? A, a dark horse candidate that I'd say, like, I'm, I'm not going to put this real high on the list, but I'd say is a possibility, and I think they've probably thought about it, is Kim Kardashian. And the, the reason I say that is Kim Kardashian is also a media singer. <laughs> she is also, also brilliant at being able to accumulate eyeballs, and she's privately tutoring her way through law school at the moment. And what did she spend the last three years doing? Trying to get people out of prison for marijuana. Like that's if I were her and I were going to run for president, I think the two things I'd be doing right now are law school and building a record of being a good person. And so uh, if she were to suddenly like come out and say like, also, I really believe in the Bible and uh, I'm very strongly pro-life. I think she'd have a decent shot at taking the Republican primary on just those. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm getting at is, could someone like that be? I don't think they would win. The they will scene. get some. They will get some media attention, but that that you know, once yeah, it comes we, to voting, the last time they, they went with a game show host, like you had, like Marco. No, no, that's not. That's not. A, I don't think that's a fair uh, description of Trump. But you know, uh, he, yeah. he, it's, true, it's true. It's it's true that he that he hosted a game show, but obviously Trump was he hosted that game show because he was already considered to be. They went with a considered celebrity. to be. They, they went no, with a I, celebrity from the private sector with no public sector experience. Would, would that right. be fair to say? Yes. But however, as we, you know, Trump was for years, for twenty years, a go-to talking head on political shows. Uh, people thought he knew what he was talking about. He was a regular commentator, a Morning Joe, and whatever. It is. I mean, Trump. Trump was a con man, I guess, in certain ways, but he had a reputation of being a a, a serious thinker and a seriously experienced player on the world stage he wasn't just a celebrity that that's why he was famous and, and his famous political for- yeah and his political views were like mod like he was he will criticize both parties he wasn't going for one party which yeah, because well, he was a, a democrat bit. for a bit and then he like i think yeah. he actually was reform party for a minute yeah and then he was like oh, i could probably be a republican i mean um, it's famously you know it emerged but trump's opinion on the gulf war back yeah. in 2003 whenever it was was sought Back then, yeah. as before The Apprentice, right, or or maybe not before The Apprentice, but but nevertheless, it, his opinions were still sought back then. He was considered to be somebody to listen to. Um, I I still acknowledge that the man has a certain gut sense to him. I know you're not supposed to say that, you know. I, I but uh, you know, whatever. I I think Kim Kardashian. I mean, I, I hope not. I mean, is she going to take care? Of, like, she'll handle Putin, right? Well, yeah. For the record, I'm not. <laughs> Kardashian. I'm not no, I, I, I know you're not. I'm just saying, yeah. I think, I think, like, I, 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 I would, I would say the following: that if America were to nominate Kim Kardashian, it would show that despite what we say, we really are not worried about America. Like, it would really show that we really are complacent and very happy bored. with ourselves. We just yeah, want like, a really fun television season. We think she'll deliver. Like, yeah. like you know, in, in 1945 or ni- I'm sorry, 1939. Nobody was going to elect Kim Kardashian. Like, you know, like that means like we had real problems and we all know we had real problems. Now we claim we have real problems. We have some problems. But if we were to elect, a, if we were to nominate a, a, an influencer, I think that would be a deep indication that we don't really think we have deep problems. You know, uh, J- Jason, I'll, I'll piggyback on another comment you made. I don't think you're going to see a Ben Shapiro or a uh, Tucker Carlson I don't think Maybe John Stewart. John Stewart could work. I think so. John Stewart's the only one I think he's thought about it and he's demurred. So, so typically, like I, I just watched an interview with Glenn Youngkin where there he's, if anybody unfamiliar, Glenn Youngkin's the Republican governor of Virginia. And out the gate, they're like, hey, are you running for president? And his response was this 
wow, you know, so many people are talking about me running for president. It's amazing how many people think I should run for president. I guess why is because I deliver on my message. And then they have to stop me like, oh, real quick, are you running for president or not? And he's like, you know, I've never even thought about whether I'm running. I'm having a discussion with my wife and I'm watching this guy going, you absolutely make your wife call you Mr. President in the throes of passion. 100% you have thought about running for president. This is bullshit. So when you ask politicians and they hem and haw and start talking about their record, yeah, that means, means yes. they're running for president. Like you, you listen like, so, so recently, um, like Tucker Carlson, uh, he was at some he was on some interview. I don't remember the context, but he was like, oh, hell no. No, that's a horrible job. Like right now I make like a million dollars in Fox. I'm the highest paid guy or highest watched guy in America. Uh, I get to throw bricks at people and write funny model. Like, no, I love my job. I don't want to be president. I was like, I believe that guy. I don't think he wants to be president. I don't think he wants to run. Uh, John Stewart, I think I, I thought about it because he like he made comments that were like, you know, I, like in looking at it, I think I make more of an impact, which I read as being like, man, political action committees sound like a lot of paperwork. That was my takeaway is that he thought about it was like, nah, I'd rather have a show at Apple. Um, I, I have to go, but so say I, I listen to Tucker Carlson's show sometimes on my serious radio on the way home from work. Uh, um, and because because it's, it's often it's the only interest interesting show on cable. It just it's, cable is just so horrible. But lately, I'd say in the last six months or so, he's he literally I'm, I'm not saying this, you know, hyperbolically. He sounds psychotic. He has this cackling laugh he does all the time, and he's going to these voices and speaking faster than ever. He, he sounds truly unbalanced. There's something weird as hell about that guy. That wasn't always the case. I don't know if anybody else has been watching him lately, but this guy's out of his mind, I think. It's very strange. I, I've, I've watched a couple of monologues, and they're weird for me because he is a very smart guy. Tucker Carlson's not an idiot, and he'll like, He'll start making kind of out of the box points that are like, hey, the establishment's failed and the system's right. And he'll, and I'm like, and I'm with you, I'm with you. And then he'll be like, which is why they staged this, the January 6th thing to take your guns. And I'm like, oh, you lost me. Yeah. You went crazy there at the end. Like for a minute, yeah. I'm like, oh shit, this guy's talking some sense. And then, uh, and then like, like about three minutes in, he'll go off the deep end and lose me. Hunter yeah. Biden is running weapons, biochemical weapons labs in Ukraine. You just put the shit out there and then pretend like you never said, never go back to them, you know, and the guys. Anyway, all right, I have to go. This is you guys are. This is a great panel, Hot Tim. Instead of having guests Thank every you. week, why don't you just have these guys on every every week? This is fantastic. It's good awesome. to see you. It's excellent. Always. Uh, nice. You guys want to share your information where people can find you, your next book. Uh, I got to go. All that. I, I don't know. Andrew, go ahead. Yeah, you remember how Noam was talking about how no party or politician really spoke for him and how he felt like an outsider? It just so happens I host a podcast called The Political Orphanage for such people. I, I, am, an in, I am an independent. I, I don't have a party that I'm in. Uh, I'm really, really, really tired of every political conversation, which we avoided today, by the way, uh, mm -hmm. every political conversation being understood and broadcast as red team versus blue team in this ongoing cosmic slap fight i think that's stupid asinine bullshit uh, i have created the political orphanage for people that are capable of having friends they disagree with and want to understand what's going on and what i've been doing is just a shit ton of research recently so like i'll read roe v wade and i'll read dobbs v jackson oddly enough most of the other people in media don't bother doing this but i'll yeah. actually do that so i invite everybody to come find a home on the political orphanage i mean where would you find a host who's going to read actually and do that and then tell you uh, the end of it. So yeah, go watch it. And he's not crazy yet. He's getting there. No, Andrew's yeah. getting there, but he's not yeah, crazy I can't, yet. I can't afford cocaine yet. 
Here so in a couple of yeah. years. Here in a couple as years, it, I'll go off. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, just yeah. Maybe that scotch distillery investment will pay <laughs> off for you. Then not. I'd, and I've actually done that. I've bottled at Glenfiddich. That was that was <laughs> a good time. And Jason, nice. where people can find you and uh, your new book and all that? Yeah, easiest place is jasontvoyevich.com. That's got uh, uh, all the books for Marketer in Chief. Marketerinchief.com now redirects over there uh, because I figured if I was going to write more books, that having everything under Marketer in Chief probably wasn't the best marketing decision. Uh, so I put everything there. So the new there's stuff about the new book there. There's other crazy shit I've written uh, is all there too. Uh, uh, all kinds of things that if you wanted to know what I do and why I'm a little bit bizarre, uh, there's a photo right at the top of that website with my grandfather giving me beer before I could walk. And that it explains a lot. Couldn't you so, say that in the beginning of the show so people know what to expect? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, why, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to make sure people kind of thought about that. You know, they, they, they wouldn't learn that until later. Like, oh, everything that guy said was just kind of, he must have brain damage. Uh, <laughs> and then that might be true. I think we all have a little brain damage. There you yeah. go. Excellent. Well, guys, it was always a pleasure having you. It's a pleasure having you now. And, uh, we uh, we're working on getting both of you at the seller talks one time uh, soon. Um, we'll be in touch and discuss details. You know, you can email us at lifefromamerica at comedyseller.com. And uh, thank you very much for listening and watching.